Hello, you are listening to The Carrero Podcast. I'm Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today, our guest is Dr. Denise Kennedy. She is an associate professor of early childhood studies at California State Polytechnic University, Pomona. She is part of an early childhood education collaborative in California called PEACH, Partners in Education, Articulation, and Collaboration in Higher Education, and co-leads the Credential Work Group. Dr. Kennedy is on the leadership team for the CA Bax Group of a four-year university baccalaureate programs in California. She is on the California Commissioning on Teaching Credentialing, Teacher Performance Assessment Design Team for the teacher level of the Child Development Permit, and is active in the state in creating the PK-3 Early Childhood Specialist Instructional Credential. Given the pushdown of K-12 into early childhood, she is working with other early childhood education professionals to create a developmentally appropriate credential through best practices in child development, ECE, BA programs, and credential programs in California. She is the principal investigator for the Cal Poly Pomona portion of the Uplift California grant, where she and her team of Norco College, Baldwin Park Unified School District, in Early Edge, California, have created eight DLL competencies as well as an observation tool to assess them in the classroom. Hi, Denise. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, in your bio, you, you mentioned that you came from a background in clinical psychology, marriage and family therapy, and then you transitioned to early childhood education. Can you talk to us about how this transition came to be? Yes, absolutely, and thank you so much for having me. I started off working with children in a clinical setting and predominantly actually in elementary schools. Um, I did art and play therapy with the children, which mm -hmm. is very much in line with early childhood education and found um, just my personality type in general. Um, it was really hard for me to disassociate my work and I often took it home and I often worried and I realized that this was not something I could do long-term. So I had to figure out a different way to help children. And so that's why I decided to get my PhD so that I could develop programs. And I actually developed an intervention program as part of my dissertation um, called the More Fun with Sisters and Brothers program. Um, and the reasoning behind that was that sibling relationships are typically the most volatile. And um, the idea is if you can get along with your sibling, you can get along with anybody in long-term relationships. So that was kind of the precipice. So and I worked with siblings <laughs> yeah. between the four and eight. Uh -huh. um, so that's kind of where that started. Um, I did a postdoc at the University of Michigan on the family transition study. And again, um, that was more of a holistic type of study where we looked at the family as a, a complete unit and started recruiting families when they were pregnant with their second child and how that changes the family dynamics because um, you're, you're no longer outnumbering the children. It's a one-to-one. -one. So typically that's when dads have to step in and kind of help with the older child while mom is caring for the younger child. And those of you with more than one child know exactly what I'm talking about. But again, learning 
about development, I think, is at the core of the work that I've done. And in that study, you know, we looked at the development of empathy, the development um, of self-concept, the the attachment relationship, not just with mothers, but also with fathers. What did sibling jealousy look like and how does that start, you know, from infancy when this new, new person is taking away your mom and dad from you? Um, We looked at a lot of different uh, developmental concepts, and that's kind of where it started. My first academic job was in a child development program, and I bring to our field in this area. um, I have been in classrooms with children, but never as a teacher, so I kind of come from it as a different lens. But I understand development. I have a very good understanding of assessment. I did a lot of assessments and research methods. And and those are the kind of the areas that I teach in our academic programs. Um, And as I've been in this field for, I think, gosh, it's kind of scary when when you look back, but I think it's been 23 years and i've learned a lot more um, and have such a huge respect for teachers in our field um, not just in early childhood but but all across the board um especially yeah it's it's super hard to be a teacher nowadays yes yeah but it's always been hard yeah and i do not think teachers have ever been given (laughs) so you know Mm -hmm the respect and the pay and and just everything that comes with it because you're really preparing the future yeah and if that's not one of the most important jobs that we should revere i don't know what is Mm -hmm. honestly you know denise you were you you talked about a lot of different things and one of the things that i think we, we we have in common is the um most of my work has has been in families and schools um you know and dads and and the importance of how dad's roles are um but one of the first things that you that that you mentioned about just looking at your own uh personal life was that you were you were bringing a lot of stuff home um can you can you talk about that and 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 do you do you bring this up within your um, within your courses on 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 how pre-service teachers could maybe not try to bring everything home because there's I, I think just just for myself there's that healthy balance of because there's a lot of my colleagues who are teachers say they just disassociate everything once that bell rings and I'm once again I'm I'm coming in from like a secondary background um that they start when the bell rings and they stop when the well when the first bell rings early in the morning to the last bell that's that's their teaching role and i'm like mm, i'm different um you, you know because i just can't stop <laughs> so do you do you do you talk about this and what and and how how do you um work with your pre-service candidates absolutely um i I have stories. I'll tell you some stories that, that, that kind of lead to that. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I did a lot of art and play therapy in my work in the elementary schools. And then, you know, the other thing I want to say is those that choose to work with younger children, I think um, 
not always, but very often, um, you, you care about the children and you take more time in their, um, in their care. So it's not just about teaching, but you know, um, you have a little less leeway on, on having to teach so much content, but actually working with the children in, in different aspects. So I've worked in and grew up here in the Los Angeles area. And, you know, you do art and play therapy with children. You have them draw pictures and you have conversations. And oftentimes when the time that I was spending with a child would be finished, I would offer them to take their artwork and complete it at home. And what do you do when a child says, oh, I don't have crayons at home? And as a teacher, as, you know, someone that is working with children, this unfortunately will happen more often than not where children do not have supplies. They do not have access to things. Um, and what do you do, you know? And one of the things I like to teach my students, I teach the child, family and community course in our program. So in, in early childhood, that's a, um, one of the aligned curriculum courses and it's a very um, lower level basic course but it really gives them a good understanding i have every student create a, a resource book um, for the community that they want to serve so if you're going to teach in this community you need to have a resource book for every possible resource you can imagine you know, not just healthcare and dental care. Where do they get clothes? Where do they get shoes? Where do they get food? Where can they get supplies that may, you know, that someone might donate to them if they do not have them? Um, everything under the sun, because it's so important. And I, and I really often try to also ensure that wherever they end up in, in a job somewhere at a school, that community might look very different from the community that they know and understand. Right. You really need to understand that community. It's so important to do that. And that's where it starts. Um, in terms of the emotional part of it, that's the hard part, Fred. And I think we all know that um, part of it is, is knowing what your limits and boundaries are and how far you can cross or how long you can continually do that without, you know, little pieces of yourself starting to fall away. And so it's a balance, but I think talking to other teachers, talking to other people um, to navigate those things is really important as well. And self-care, especially today, I think is even more important. Yeah, and I think that especially um, in newer teachers, that burnout is really high because they don't know how to set those boundaries. Um, and they, especially in California, right, they're working to clear their credential, they're in their induction program. Um, and a lot of times they're moving from different grades every year. And, and they wanna just prove themselves to be like unreplaceable or irreplaceable, right? And so um, that burnout can be real. So after they clear their credential, they might be faced with like, man, <laughs> what did I get myself into? It's so true. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. But um, 
Can you tell us about your work with uh, Peach? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Peach is a higher ed collaborative. We originally started out, gosh, it's been since 2010. And it is community, it started off in LA County. So community colleges and the five CSUs and private universities um, of child development and early childhood education programs in LA County is where we started. We also collaborate with school districts. Um, it was funded originally uh, by First Five LA and we created these work groups. So we went through articulation between the community colleges and the four-year universities on courses to make sure everyone was articulated so that we had an associate degree transfer. Um, we looked at all the baccalaureate programs. We looked at the child development permit. So it's evolved um, quite a bit and it's statewide now. And um, CTC, California Department of Education and other entities often LPI, for example, the Learning Policy Institute, they um, ask our organization, our group, to be involved in a lot of the work that's been happening in the state of California. Right now we have, we're trying to create a doctoral program in California because there is not one in early childhood. Um, right now, most people, if they stay in state, go through um, an EDD program. Um, UCLA used to have one, Berkeley's um, talking about creating one. So we're, we're moving that forward. We've also revised the child development permit, but because of the PK3 credential that's been happening in California, CTC has put the permit revision on hold. And so now that the PK3 credential has gone through the commission, and I believe it's still in regs, um, the permit might get revised and I'm trying to think what other, we do a lot of advocacy. That's a lot. The, yeah, we, <laughs> you we, don't we have do to think lot. about what else. That's a lot. Like, yeah, it's, and it's, It really is a lot. And, you know, we get together every month mm -hmm. um, as a whole group. And I think the, I mean, from what I'm hearing and in, in my experience, I think that like, keeping up with the CTC changes is probably your biggest task, right? Um, but yeah, that, I think that that train has left. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, it's kind of a sore subject for early childhood people. I know, um, I know. You know, I was just in a two day grant work group um, to try to come up with pathways for this new PK3 credential and there's so much confusion mm -hmm. in the state right now. And CTC is, their their work is done because they just kind of come up with, these are the, the standards, these are the TPEs and you figure it out. And so everyone's kind of scrambling and there's a lot of um, confusion and a lot of um, trepidation. There's not a lot of partnership between the CTC and and the universities from my experience and that's <clears throat> what's missing yeah. yeah and you know they ask us to participate like you know that's how i met fred here um is on the tpa design team and 
I think a lot of us feel at this point, you know, we're asked to do things, but a lot of our expertise is not valued mm. in a lot of ways. And it's almost as though we're a, a box they can check that they've, um, you know, asked people in the right. field to participate. Mm. But, you know, how much of that is actually utilized? I think that's... Yeah that's a different box. <laughs> yeah. And so that would be like a cultural shift in that organization, probably stemming from leadership down. Okay. That's yeah, a we whole nother conversation. About, <laughs> we were just talking about, you know, New York, um, mm-hmm. New York and California are very similar. You know, we think we're like the best in education. Um, <laughs> we in are. The United States. <laughs> and I think, you know, unfortunately, I think California is like 41 out of 50 in our K-12 uh, oh. ranking statewide. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And New York is talking about um, removing the subject matter uh, exams and and things from there. Um, Even the Praxis 3, you know, a lot of states are are getting away from that. So we're hoping that California does the same because that, you know, I'm sure you know this, but liberal studies and liberal arts programs, CTC has given them a pass on having to take the uh, subject matter, the CSET exam, Mm -hmm. whereas our programs, (coughs) pardon me, we feed into multiple subjects, um, credentials, and our students still have to take those exams. And they are barriers um, for our programs and our students. And so we're hoping but, you know, the conversation was, again, it's such an archaic system that has not changed, right, um, at CTC and, and the way they do things. So we're hoping that there, there might be a shift. Who knows? We can only hope. Yeah, because <laughs> there was, because for, for many years, we were, we were trying to, um, I remember when I first, I first became a professor here in California, and that was 1990, 1998, 1999. And then even as a department and during during that time, and then even as a department chair, always con you know, contacting the state just as you know, just be, just because the C best has been such a barrier. And and asking, well, if 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 students are are getting A's and B's in math and English and writing throughout their undergrad, why can't we just count that? And 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 fortunately now Governor Newsom signed that new bill into law, but we see how long that's taken uh, because many of us have been um, trying to, and it, and, it, and, you know, and it doesn't make sense how we're complaining about teacher shortages, but <laughs> there's still all these little things that need to, need to take, take place. And so, um, so I thank you for for the for the work that you that you are doing and that advocacy that's 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 there because things are things are only going to get worse. They're not going to get better. Um, and so and so we need people at the um, at the higher ed level to really expound their voices um, because without without people doing it, there's there's not going to be change. Um, but what do you, you know, what do you do with your, with your uplift grant work? So that, that grant 
excuse me, that was part of uh, the two-day meeting we, we had yesterday. Um, the, it's a $4.5 million grant, and it has um, three teams. So Sac State, um, Cal State Bakersfield, and Cal Poly Pomona. And part of the work that we've been doing at Pomona has been really um, transformational in a lot of ways. We created, along with Early Edge California, Norco Community College, and or Norco College, I should say, and Baldwin Park Unified School District, we created dual language learner competencies that we would hope we would see pre-service teachers and teachers in the field and even in the workforce have as they work with children whose home language is not English. So those eight competencies, we scaffolded and crosswalked across those systems. So starting at the community college, and that would include at Cal Poly Pomona, our lower division courses, where could we see implementation of those competencies at an introductory level? And then as we get into the upper division uh, breadth and depth of our work at Cal Poly, where would we see those? And then also at um, you know the school district, we do not think we ever really master any of these skills until you're actually working in the field. I mean, when you're actually being involved you know with parents and families and doing all these other things then we created an observation tool so a way to assess those teachers in the classroom on um, four of the eight competencies that we thought were actually observable um, that we could use throughout the state and so that's one of the main things that we did we also came up with ways to recruit more BIPOC students into our programs because, you know, and male students, we need teachers, we need male teachers, Mm -hmm. and we need teachers of color that represent the students in their communities. And so those, those are some of the things that we've been doing. Each team has worked on other things. I think at Sac State, they kind of uh, revised their program. Um, to align with TPEs and uh, created practicum, which is our student teaching in our programs, things like that. Um, Bakersfield, the community colleges created a Canvas course to teach and train teachers and faculty to teach students um, how to work with children and families whose home language is not English. So there's a lot of really great work that's been happening. Um, Now we've kind of shifted part of the grant to create these pathways for PK3. So there's seven teams of of CSUs, community colleges and district partners to come up with different pathways on what that PK3 credential might, um, might be. That's wonderful because there, there's, there, there is a, everything that you were talking about there is such from the pre-k level all the way up through grade 12 there's there's such a need um and at least one of the things that i was that 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 we've been seeing is the legislative part that maybe we might get more bipoc students in if we didn't have all this legislative stuff that's 
that's that's that's in there because one of the first things I'm thinking, at least in secondary, it is that fifth is that fifth year of study. Um, many students need to take another loan out just to you know just to get that in, and a lot of students aren't able to work during that time. Um, and there's and there's way you know, I've I've written everything down. I've I have my little master plan of this is what we could be doing and you know but yet it's that legislative stuff that that really needs to be going on is your is 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 any of your work or or people that you that you know that are working on that on that legislative side we we are i mean peach is very involved in working with legislators in the state um we we can only do so much, you know, I mean, all of us are full-time faculty and it, you know, how, how we have all this extra time to do all these extra things. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hard, you know, but, but there is, you know, we have numbers and so we kind of help each other and, and do that. It's really difficult. Um, you know, there's a lot of money. Uh, CTC has grants for uh, residency grants and, and other things like that, planning grants for programs. Um, for some reason, there's a push for ITEP, but ITEP programs are, I, I'm not sure, I'm sure you have ITEPs at, at Fullerton. Can you talk about ITEP? Teacher. I'm not sure, I know what you're talking about. It's an integrated teacher program, so you get your bachelor's and credential oh. in four years. We don't have that at Fullerton. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard because going back to what you said, Fred, it's very intensive. Students have to go to summer school, which is not covered by financial aid. Um, they have to take a lot of extra units. They probably cannot work because they, you know, have to do their clinical practice, all of that. Um, the other thing is depending on the district that hires them, a lot of students in ITEP programs would be at a disadvantage pay-wise because districts count when they graduate. And if you're doing it all together, even though those credential programs are considered post-bac, yeah. the districts do not count them as such because they go by your graduation date. And you cannot graduate in three years in an ITEP program because you won't have enough units. So there's a lot of issues that legislators and ctc and other people do not understand at the ground and kind of what's happening mm -hmm. and how that impacts because i would not want a student to come through my program yes to get their degree and credential in four years but when they start their job they're always going to be at a disadvantage with pay because those uh credential courses did not count as post back hmm. well yeah um I, I, we're getting into a lot of like legislation I know, sorry. stuff. No, and it's okay. Um, and 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 it's just highlighting some of the issues that we have, like because it's so far removed from um, like what we do in the teacher prep programs versus what the states wants us to prove to show that these candidates are ready to teach. Um, and I went through a four-year program um, in Wisconsin to get my teacher credential. Um, which was was very different when I went through and in in Wisconsin credentialing is is really different than California as well but um, I 
I had to work, you know, and it was stressful and it was it was difficult because when you're student teaching, that's a full time job essentially without pay, <laughs> and um, that's something that some of the faculty and I are trying to work on here too um, at Fullerton is how can we support non-traditional students, right? Most of my students right now, most of my candidates are coming out of undergrad and then getting their credential and master's together. And that's, you know, considered a traditional student. But what about the working adults who might have dependents to take care of? How can we support them getting a teacher credential and still be able to financially support their family and themselves because you know they're not living at home they have a life to to yeah. pay for um, and with how strict the CTC requirements are it's it's really challenging to work within that realm to do that and those are the candidates that we really want to recruit right like we want like you mentioned we want to recruit men and more people of color and really people who go back to school to get a credential later in life like you know they're probably going to stick it out they're going to probably be 20 30 year teachers because they already know what it takes to be a teacher they you know live some life they're not, not likely to burn out as quickly as you know someone who comes directly out of undergrad um yeah and then you know fred and i have talked a lot about the tpa um and issues with that and i know that um, there's some redesign happening, and you mentioned that you're working on um, TPA design. Do you want to talk about your work with that? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been very interesting, I think. Um, I think the challenge has been that, and I'm finding this more and more, and you know, it's that, that idea of, of rolling a boulder uphill and for us in early childhood the hill just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger um the lack of understanding i think is what is what is really difficult you know the push down of k-12 into early childhood is not what we hope to see we hope to see a push-up of early childhood through third grade and and partly because our programs we teach the subject matter but in a way where we give our students in our programs the pedagogical skills so we're not just teaching them math we're teaching them how to teach math to mm -hmm. children and they actually go into a classroom and have a lesson plan and implement it and we do that with science we do that with language and literacy and um we feel our students are at an advantage because they are in the classrooms and we, our program at Cal Poly goes from zero to eight. So from conception all the way through third grade. Wow. And they have those experiences all throughout our program. And it's not just one course here or one course there, it's the program. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the design team is, is fantastic in that the variety of people that are contributing i think is really helpful and beneficial but it's hard to push that boulder up um when the people at the top don't see you because the boulder's in the way <laughs> that's kind of how it felt and and i think you know 
the way we have a cycle of curriculum that we all in the field um, kind of implement. And it starts with getting to know the child. You have to know the child first so that you know how to help the child, what the child's strengths are and their, what they need help with, um, how you can guide them. And it feels like CTC wants us to start with create your lesson and then implement that. And then you could see where children are, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, just a, a philosophical pedagogical difference, I think in a lot of ways, but it, it's harder because you kind of have to backtrack a lot with, with that. And I think, you know, we're trying, to, we have different language. So we're trying to understand, you know, we say student, you say candidate, we say children, you say student. So, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of a learning curve, I guess would, would be the right thing. Yeah. So my hope is that I, I think the TPAs are very, very valuable because of the reflective components. Mm -hmm that students are asked to do to really think about why they're doing the things that they're doing in a classroom and uh, you know what would you do differently and i think as educators we all do that i know i do that every every time i teach a course well what can i change what can i how can i make this better and it's such an important part of teaching i think in, yeah. in any grade right um it's my fear right now is that the work that we've been doing for the teacher level of the permit that ctc is going to say well let's just morph that and morph the kindergarten tpa or the multiple subject tpa and here's the pk3 tpa and that's kind of what i see happening yeah um and that's a fear because yeah. it's it's it should not just be doing what's easy to get it out quickly it should be more meaningful i think yeah because then we spend a lot more time trying to adapt it and then figure it out and then reteach it and then design like redesign the tpa and it's just it gets a lot messier um yeah, yeah. but to your point about the reflection piece as a teacher like that never goes away um and when you were talking about your community as a resource um book that you ask your candidates to create. I teach a foundations course for our candidates and um, I taught a community as a resource assignment um, but differently as a way as like for them to know and understand the community that they are going into and, and will be student teaching but I really like your take on it and so as you were saying it I was like taking mental notes like I'm gonna revamp this assignment to be a product yeah. that can support the families instead of themselves. So yeah. thank you for that little gem. Oh, yeah. And then they present it on a PowerPoint. It's mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah, you know? I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Good, I like that. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, so let's let's switch gears because I, I know we're going down that rabbit hole of what we want education to be just because of uh, all this stuff. So can you, Denise, can you, can you share some of your success stories? Um, of, of working with candidates or students, um, you know, and, and, uh, and what, where, what do you find 
um, that gets you up every single day. So just so that you get to do X. Yeah, I think absolutely working with the students in our programs. Um, I, in the past, have mentored first-generation students, and <clears throat> that's been really, really rewarding. Um, I, I was, so I have like a really weird background. Um, I was raised by a single mother who was um, not born in this country. And um, so I would consider my, myself a first generation college student, even though my father um, was an engineer, but they divorced when I was one. So um, I lived with my mother and um, consider myself first gen. And part of that is just no one is there to help you with homework, uh, filling out applications, student loan information, you know, just all the things you have to do. And then let alone navigating college, navigating a lot of other things. And I understood that and understand that. So I think uh, mentoring first-gen students um, has been rewarding in the, re in the aspect of just being that person they can come to and ask, you know, what may seem a really silly question, but it, it's not because how are you supposed to know if no one's there to, to guide you? And I've had so many students, I've had four get their PhDs wow. that were first gen. Um, I would say 95% have master's degrees. That's amazing. And, and our credentials. Mm -hmm. So it's been really fantastic. And, you know, I do do research. So I often have uh, research assistants, um, and I mentor them as well and, and get them presenting. So I think just that mentoring and guiding um, is probably one of the most rewarding things, but also teaching, you know, I teach the class everyone hates in our program, which is the research methods class. And yeah, it's that's, like, oh my God. That's the best class. Fred, I was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's Fred's favorite, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I'm with you, Fred. But you know, I, um, you know, my first question is, how many of you get articles and you skip through the method section? And they all say yes. <laughs> well, we're gonna learn to read that method section in this class. <laughs> and um, I let them all choose. They all write a research proposal and they choose their own topic, whatever it is. You know, it could be anything that they're interested in. And just seeing the light bulbs go off yeah. and that's the class where i see it the most i mean i have it in other classes but you know the light bulbs when they get and then you're like ah oh, yes i like you know it's just the most the best feeling it really is the best feeling and even you know when i counseled kids in elementary school you have those wins with kids you know or, you know i remember a little boy he was he was in second grade and he came to the school mid-year and he he was very smart. So he would finish his work and then get in trouble in class because he didn't have anything to do. So the teacher would send him to me and we would go, um, he was a little overweight for his age and he didn't have a lot of friends. And, you know, in elementary school, handball's like the thing to do, right? So I would take him out of class and then him and I would just go on the handball court and play handball. 
and he got really good at it and his you know his father bought him a handball and he would play against the garage and then he started making all these friends and lose lost some weight because he was active and just the change in his in his personality and his behavior in class i mean everything just changed and you know you have those wins and and it makes all the other stuff worth it i think yeah, it does. when you can impact um children and students in in a real positive way yeah i like um hearing your stories about mentoring first gen students i'm a first gen student too and um it was challenging and I certainly felt alone, especially amongst my peers in undergrad, um, because so many of my peers had family who had, you know, gone to college and um, and then, you know, like I very specifically remember because I put myself through college and um, it, like struggled to buy books. Right. And I remember a professor who just was like not understanding of my my situation and I couldn't afford the book for her class and I shared with a classmate and she like called me into her office and ridiculed me for not buying the book and I I just remember being in tears and I just was very embarrassed and and now as like you know a teacher educator I'm very conscious of that because I I'm always like I have extra books if you you know don't you can't buy it like ask me I, I have extra books for you um, and there are just a lot of extra needs, I think, of first-gen college students that um, might not be noticed or recognized by people who aren't, right? Um, so I just, I like hearing that um, that, yeah. that success that you've had with, with that um, population of people. That's amazing. Um, where would you like to see education go for the future? Um, I'd like it to be more child-centered, you know? one of the things i see with our teachers our pre-service teachers and our teachers that are new you know they they go in with this idea that oh i know all this stuff and i'm going to be this type of teacher and then they're handed this box curriculum and quickly learn they're not able to do half the things they thought they would be able to do in a classroom um, especially for with young children and i think that you know, there's a lot of research out there um, and, and pre-pandemic, every January, I would do a short-term study abroad course um, for education to Italy. And yeah. That sounds amazing. amazing. I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, come with me. Yes, please. Um, and so Italy, I mean, the Montessori and the Reggio Emilia, that's where it all started in uh, Bologna, which is, they have a Malagusi uh, center there. And their pedagogical ideology is very different where you can go into, we go to a preschool in Venice and it's open. So you have children with autism, you have three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, all kind of running around and going into different classrooms and you have a concept you're you're telling the story of Pinocchio and each child determines how they want to learn about Pinocchio some might do it through art some might do it through the computer uh, books film whatever however they want to interpret Pinocchio is up to the child and it's a very different philosophy and I wish that we would give our students in the classrooms 
in our schools more of an ability to think mm -hmm. um, and, and problem solve and interact with each other. Um, I see, you know, one of my big areas of study and research is on social emotional development. And to see high schoolers not have that, not have coping skills, not understanding social emotional development, because it's never been part of their life in school. It's always, you know, curriculum and content. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I would like to see. And again, that's where that push up of early childhood into schools is so important because that's part of what we do. And if you look at research on teacher child relationships, it ends at kindergarten, um, which is really unfortunate because teachers don't have the time because they have all of these box curriculum things they have to do and, and high stakes tests they have to implement and teach the kids to the test, you know, rather than having them think and, and critically and learn. So and it's a big wish. Yeah. <laughs> that, that experience sounds transformational. Like, yeah. do your students find that just like their most impactive experience in the program? Like the ones who are able to go? You know, it's, it's, it is. I, I do some cross-cultural research because, you know, a lot of my students are first gen and they've never been out of state, let alone out of the country. Um, but when they see the education system, how different, you know, I also have them meet with college students in Italy and their college is very different. It's all self-directed. They don't go to classes. Mm -hmm. They learn things. And if they need help, they find professors to help them. Um, it costs $500 a year or euros a year to go to college in Italy because the government pays for it. That's incredible. Yeah, it it, it sounds like we should move to open Italy. our own schools. <laughs> yeah. well, not only that, but open in our own school because one of the things that I've always harped on our, on our secondary ed um, pre-service teachers is I would always tell them, if you really want to know how to teach, go down to pre-K to pre three. That's right. Um, and and watch, just watch. And they're like, well, you know, in my math, I'm like, you, one of the problems that we that we have in secondary ed is that we're training you to teach math. We're not training you to teach children how to how to comprehend math. Like right. that's that's two totally different philosophies. Um. So so yeah, thank you for. You know, thank you for doing all of that. Um, one of the things since we're coming to the to the end, um, we always ask all of our guests the very same question. And what and what that question is, is, um, Denise, what is your call to action? What would you what would you like to leave um, all of our all of our listeners with? I, I think the most immediate thing right now that I'm working on, that a lot of my colleagues are working on is this PK3 credential. And we are unable to change what it is as it's written. Again, you know, TPEs and standards are, are done. But what we can do is implement it in a way that is developmentally appropriate. That is a push up of early childhood into those early grades in elementary. And I think that would be transformational for California, um, just in 
language and literacy, you know, the literacy, new literacy standards came out and it's all about learning English. Um, I think we can create programs that help children learn language and literacy, but from a multilingual context. And I think that's so important that we value uh, home language. We value what we can do in our program. So creating credential program in our systems that makes sense, that will prepare teacher candidates to be excellent teachers in the classroom. That's what I would hope. I love that. Yeah, I like that. I loved your time with us today. I learned so much from you and I certainly will reach out to collaborate with you in the future just because I think we have so many similar um, philosophies about you know the way teacher education should should go. So I hope that that's okay with you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, that. I, I welcome that. Thank okay. you so much for inviting me. Good. Both of you. Yes. Mm-hmm.